Now, NDE Radio, a weekly exploration of near-death experiences and similar encounters with the other side. Now, here's your host, Lee Whitting. Welcome to NDE Radio with Lee Whitting. Whether you're listening on TalkZone, my podcast, through the archives of our ad-free shows on our YouTube channel, or connected through our Facebook page. This being the Monday we celebrate Dr. Martin Luther King's dedication to love, possibly as the result of his having had a near-death experience, we're offering this encore on Martin Luther King and love. Like the rest of us, Reverend King was far from perfect. Nevertheless, I personally learned a lot from the direction he took in his public life. During my student days at New York's Columbia University, I was fascinated with the revolutionary point of view voiced by Malcolm X and heard him speak in Harlem. I heard his frustration and disillusionment with uh, whites that we would never overcome the racist obsessions so obvious in the 1960s South with whites-only bathrooms and water fountains, whites-only hotels and restaurants, bizarre voting restrictions, and segregated schools. Drawing on memories of my own childhood NDE, however, I came to understand that Dr. King preached the truth, that as impossible as it seemed, love was the only way to actually heal the planet and our souls. I had marched for racial equality in New York in Washington protests of the 1960s, but it took until Martin Luther King's assassination on April 4th, 1968, to mature my understanding of what it was all about. So let me tell you the story of what happened to me on on and around that date. At the time, I was 25, married. I had a full-time job as well, but it was the 60s, and three of my hippie friends persuaded me to drive with them to Acapulco, Mexico, to sample firsthand the potency of Acapulco pot. Driving day and night, we made it to the Brownsville border in four days, And shortly after that, we were living on a beautiful Acapulco beach with waves that came in 12 feet high and then broke like a waking dream at our feet. The dope was great, and every wave was a hallucinogenic dreamscape with knights defending the castle walls at the top of each wave until the wave and the walls fell down. The fun ended for me when news came of King's death. Something in my mind shifted when I heard the news, and I packed my bag and, with my last few dollars, bought a bus ticket to Mexico City and airfare to Dallas, the only American airport I could afford. I had no idea how I would get to Philadelphia from there, but I had a few ounces of grass with me, and I thought I might trade that to hitchhike home. But when I landed in Dallas, something miraculous happened. Getting off the plane with all the other passengers to go through customs, I learned the plane's next stop was Philadelphia, the place I had to get to, to be with my family. So with a deep breath, a prayer, and no ticket, I reboarded the same plane and sat down in the seat where I'd been sitting. Amazingly, no new passenger had been assigned that seat. The stewardess recognized me and smiled. I figured she'd check some list and have me booted off the plane. Instead, she asked if I'd like another soda, another snack, and I smiled back and said, yes. I've been a faithful, frequent flyer with that airline ever since. But I owe the memory of Dr. King's assassination to more than the luck of free airfare to get back home. 
My whole sense of responsibility to love over freedom clicked up a notch or two when I realized where I needed to be in light of what his death in the name of love symbolized. As I said, Reverend King was not perfect in his behavior, nor was I, but he was perfect in his perception that God is love and love is the only real source of freedom there is. Several years later, I wrote the following rhyming memory. The day Martin Luther King got shot, I was in Mexico smoking pot. In Acapulco, more precisely, because Acapulco gold went nicely with crashing waves on western shores, cerveza, palm trees, open doors. Back then, of course, we weren't alone, for rich and poor came to this zone, When winter weather hit the east, Acapulco was a feast of music, palms, and lovely pot. In Mexico, we smoked a lot. A smother's brother talked to me in the local bodega grocery about which strainer's best for straining grass. I thought with glee, this too will pass, but while it lasts, I will enjoy, and love and peace I will deploy. I'd started out to do my part. I'd marched in Washington with heart-filled rage for all the civil wrongs on blacks whites said did not belong in middle-class society. They said, oh, sure, they can be free, but not to live like you and me. Just out of college in New York, a Harlem social worker dork, that was my first job, I hadn't more than clues to go on. I hadn't had abuse to grow on. But poor blacks there cut me some slack. They helped me, never did attack or mock me for my ignorance a white guy in a white guy's trance. All over Harlem, I was greeted with kindness and the whole hood's blessing. With my motorcycle, they weren't messing. Even earlier, I'd seen that more was in the cards and at the core. I heard the words of Malcolm X on 125th Street. He addressed the problems of the black oppressed. At the Hotel Chelsea, where I'd stayed, watching beats whose fringe would soon be frayed into hippies, via LSD. Blacks' visions, though, weren't quite so free. If they were black, they saw the light. They knew what lurked beneath weren't right. But I'd seen the goodness in these blacks. I'd hated racist lies, attacks. The lynchings then were horror-filled. George Wallace's sickness really chilled all hope for reason and reform. It's hard to change when hate's the norm. We marched as Quakers, and in peace we asked for justice for the least. But then in Memphis, bullets flew and Martin died, as if he knew he'd prophesied his death that day. Was the good he stood for blown away? Not so, as martyr he grew bigger, something J. Edgar didn't figure. But then to come, with news he died, my joy in Mexico was fried. I headed back that very day, back to the battle and the fray of change that would not go away. No matter how the FBI or KKK tried to deny the rights, the humanity of blacks, already light shone through the cracks in walls once built to keep the order, I flew across the Mexican border, a sadder, wiser, troubled man. We all must do the best we can. Until the moment I heard the news of Dr. King's murder, I had naively assumed we were on the path to healing race relations in our country. With the Voting Rights Act, integrated public facilities, and new opportunities for public and higher education for blacks, I had thought all the marching and protests of the early 1960s were solving the divisions. 
If I'd had the wisdom to see forward to today, I'd have recognized how ingrown our racism can be, spanning generations and surviving the appearance of superficial change. So on this Martin Luther King's Day, let's apply what King learned, perhaps from a near-death experience, to the re-emerging of the racism of today. Just remember, all of us who hear and appreciate the NDE experiences reported on this show know that the essence of God is love. And what is the nature of love? It is inclusion, union, the end of pointless divisions and strife. And what keeps us from such loving union here on earth? It's the nature of evil, spelled out in three words, divide and conquer. Now, for those who believe in evil personified, divide and conquer is how Satan works to separate us from God. For those who believe evil is simply the failure of corrupt men and women to see the good, divide and conquer is how the oligarchs grab wealth, dictators seize power, classes enforce their fabricated superiority, and how religious bigotry and racism can lead to cruelty and war. The underlying framework of divide and conquer is built on lies. Lies that make you believe you're the victim of conspiracies. Lies that greed is good. Lies you're superior and therefore entitled to dehumanize others on account of their race, or religion, or gender, or age, or nationality, or language, or sexual preference, or level of education, or neighborhood, or the job they do. Or, or, or. The list is endless as is the cruelty, depending on how fearful and gullible and greedy and or victimizable you are. Basically, fear is the ruler of divide and conquer, and certainly not love. What do we do to stop the madness? Politics can't stop it because politicians divide. Religion can't stop it because faiths and denominations and clergy divide. Wealth and power can't stop it because wealth and power are built on lies that are the very essence of divide and conquer. Today, some think we are on the verge of a second civil war in this country. Some citizens have armed themselves to the teeth and are so angry they are seeking out targets to kill. White supremacists feel threatened by different races. Neo-Nazis still target Hitler's scapegoats, the Jews. Fundamental Christians fear the Muslims, and others seem to hate our government for imposing laws that limit their freedom, laws like stopping at stop signs or paying your taxes, laws that exist to promote public safety and support cooperative projects like schools and roads and social security. All government support could collapse, of course, if we start a civil war. Is it too late to save ourselves from such a self-imposed tragedy? Well, when you add global warming to the mix, it very well might be. That's because climate change turns fertile land into dust bowls, and huge populations are forced to migrate or face starvation. Now there are so many mouths to feed in the world that fear of immigrants divides us as well. And that should not come as a surprise. Do you realize that in just my lifetime, the world's population has more than doubled, to over 7 billion souls? That's because, over my lifetime, religions encouraged families to make more babies, more Catholics and Hindus and Muslims, to competitively add to each flock. 
Growing up, I had Catholic friends with 10 or 12 uh, siblings. Today, most American Catholics only uh, defy church dictums and and, uh, go for quality over quantity, which allows for better health care, nutrition, education, and a healthy share of love for each of their two or so children born. With better birth control, we wouldn't need wars and plagues to keep limits on the population. In the generation coming after me, the population problem can correct itself, and with it, the stresses and strains on the environment. And by the way, worldwide population pollu- worldwide pollution has reduced, uh, has reduced human fertility, one of nature's ways to correct overpopulation problems. But effective birth control practices that reduce population simultaneously reduce the Earth's pollution burden as well, giving fertility a chance to survive. Effective preconception birth control would do away with the divide-and-conquer politics of abortion as well. So those are some of the problems we face on this Martin Luther King Day. It's the same problems I'd hoped to see overcome when I was in my 20s, and the intervening 50 years has only made things worse. But I remain optimistic because, as Plato observed some 400 years before Christ, truth alone is eternal. Everything else is only shadows. As NDEers know, the only truth is love. Love is the only source of freedom as well. Many of those people arming themselves with AR-15s and other assault weaponry say they are doing it to be free. But this is another lie of divide-and-conquer thinking. There was a story in the news of a man who refused to wear a mask into a store that required them, saying he was not afraid. Why are you carrying that pistol on your side, then, the store manager asked, if you're really not afraid. Love may make us more vulnerable to the world, of course, but that very vulnerability makes us heroes in the eyes of God. Open carry makes us part of the problem. But short of not arming ourselves to go grocery shopping, what can we do to reduce fear and grow love in the world? We have to love our neighbors as ourselves. And who is my neighbor? They asked Jesus. He told them the story of the Good Samaritan, how a man was beaten and robbed on the road and left for dead, and how other travelers, even a priest, walked by the injured man without helping him. But a Samaritan, a man of a different faith, stopped to help. Love reaches out past the divisions of religion, race, class, and culture to bring the light of God to where it's needed. Religions, too, are a big source of divide-and-conquer problems. A few months after I started doing NDE radio on TalkZone, my brother Chris sent me a joke he'd found that illustrates the divide-and-conquer of religions. It was attributed to Erno Phillips, and it goes like this. I was walking across a bridge one day, and I saw a man standing on the edge about to jump off. I immediately ran over and said, stop, don't do it. Why shouldn't I, he said. I said, well, there's so much to live for. Like what? Well, are you religious or atheist? Religious. Me too. Are you Christian or Jewish? Christian. Me too. Are you Catholic or Protestant? Protestant. Me too. Are you Episcopalian or Baptist? Baptist. Wow, me too. Are you Baptist Church of God or Baptist Church of the Lord? Baptist Church of God. Me too. Are you original Baptist Church of God or are you the Reformed Baptist Church of God? Reformed Baptist Church of God. Me too. 
Are you Reformed Baptist Church of God Reformation of 1879 or Reformed Baptist Church of God Reformation of 1915? Reformed Baptist Church of God Reformation of 1915, to which I said, die heretic scum and pushed him off the bridge. Now, I was born in the 1940s when the so-called greatest generation of Americans was at war to defend our democratic way of life from Hitler's Germany, Mussolini's Italy, and uh, the, the enemies in Japan, dictators who crushed individual rights in their countries as if they meant nothing. Today, there are dictators, despots, and bullies all over the world just waiting to witness the end of democracy in America. The fact that power corrupts is obvious if only by witness to the wealth that oligarchs and dictators accumulate, even in the poorest of countries. Putin, for example, is a multi-billionaire, reputedly one of the ten richest men in the world, even though Russia's population is one of the poorest. Putin and his oligarch friends have robbed their country blind. With crimes that great, Putin can never allow an independent to run against him. Likewise, he can't allow a free press or unlimited internet or street protests, or an independent legislature. In other words, anyone who values their personal freedom, and especially their right to own guns, does not want to live under an authoritarian regime like Russia's, or Hungary's, or China's, or North Korea's, or Saudi Arabia's, or any of the dozens of cruel and abusive dictatorships uh, bullying and enslaving populations around the world. So who is your neighbor? The next person you meet, the person in front of you right now, anyone in need of your help as a channel of God's love. Most NDEers have a special gift to share by telling to others the story of their experience. As a hospital chaplain, I made frequent use of the near-death stories I heard to bring comfort to other patients in panic over their illness or as they lay there in fear of dying. That kind of powerful assurance that we survive our body's death is about as powerful a gift as anyone can give to another person, another neighbor. On the other hand, to quote Dr. King, our lives begin to end the day we become silent about things that matter. Lest you think today's show has nothing to do with NDEs, let me assure you that may not be true. In fact, I would like to suggest that there were at least two occasions in his life when Martin Luther King Jr. might have experienced an NDE or OBE. The first was based on an account of a time at the age of 12 when the boy allegedly attempted suicide. According to the story, King, who was supposed to be home babysitting his six-year-old brother, snuck off to watch a parade. And while he was gone, his brother slid down a banister and accidentally knocked their grandmother unconscious. Though it was an unrelated heart attack that killed the woman, Martin felt so guilty that it was said he attempted suicide by jumping out a second-story window. Martin's father later said that the boy was distraught and sleepless for days after. The second possible occasion for an NDE was reported by Dr. King himself in the text of a speech. It seems he was at a book signing when a person King described as a demented black woman came up to him, asked if he were... Martin Luther King, and then drove a knife into him, a hair's breadth from his aorta. The doctor later said that if King had so much as sneezed, he would have died on the spot. 
Now, whether or not King had an NDE or OBE that he recalled, I do not know. The only reference we might consider is this. At the conclusion of a speech he gave before he was assassinated, he saw trouble coming and drew a parallel between himself and Moses getting a glimpse from the mountaintop, but not himself going into the promised land. He said he would like to live a long life, but he wasn't concerned about that. He said he just wanted to do God's will. God had allowed him to go up to the mountain, he said, and I've looked over and I've seen the promised land. Now, I don't doubt Martin was referring to a future when all men and women are treated equally, but doesn't that ring of a possible vision as well that God might have allowed him a view of the other side as seen in an NDE experience? In any event, he was not afraid to die, another characteristic of the near-death experience. Primarily, however, I would say the best indication that Dr. King might have experienced an NDE was the emphasis he placed on love, the power of love to overcome hatred, the nature of love being the nature of God, and the only way to heal a broken nation, the only way to heal the racism of his day, which we now see reemerging in America today. Without a doubt, every description of the other side we hear from fellow NDEers is that God and love are one and the same, that the essence of everything is love, that we are deeply and profoundly loved by the light, and that by virtue of being a part of that light, our essence too is love. But just by virtue of our existence on earth, we've lost track. We've lost the vision of the healing that can happen when we recognize and practice that nature to love, which is the very core of our being. That is the real God particle in us. That is the spark of the divine each of us contains, to quote George Fox and the Quakers, the Society of Friends. St. Paul, who wrote about the NDE he experienced when he was stoned to death by an angry mob, had a most profound understanding of love and its power, and he wrote about that in this famous passage from Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If I speak in the tongues of mortals and of angels but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give away all my possessions and if I hand over my body to that so that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. But as for prophecies, they will come to an end. And as for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. For we know only in part, and we prophesy only in part. But when the complete comes, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became an adult, I put an end to childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face. Now I I know only in part. Then I will know fully even as I have been fully known. And now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, 
The greatest of these is love. I say this is a famous passage because most of all of 1 Corinthians 13 is used in many wedding ceremonies. In fact, it was part of a wedding ceremony I did a week ago Saturday. And even so, and so even non-churchgoers have heard it and read it from time to time. When we say God is love, though, the implications are profound. St. Paul saw it, and Martin Luther King did as well. Why does St. Paul compare faith, hope, and love and actually rank love above the other two? Simply put, because hope implies the possibility of doubt, and faith implies a focusing of the mind. Faith and hope, by the way, are emphasized more fully by Christian churches than is love. Churches excel in providing hope and in developing and nurturing faith. But love? Congregations are drawn to pastors and priests who seem to embody love, but it's the rare church that makes love the primary goal in their members' lives. In some ways, faith and love are contradictory, or at times can work against one another. We'll take the notion of a faith that can move mountains. How do you get there, and why would you want to? There's a famous missing verse in some Bibles in the book of Matthew. It's found or not found in Matthew chapter 17 as verse 21. You should check it out in your own Bible and see if it's there. It happens where Jesus' disciples come and ask why they didn't have the power to cast out some demons. And Jesus answers, Because of your little faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. But then comes the missing verse, missing, that is, from many editions of the Bible. It reads, But this kind of faith never comes out except by prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting are a way of making yourselves into channels for God's love. That's my edition. It's that kind of desire, the desire for a kind of self-aggrandizing faith that could literally move mountains that could lead us away from love, even while we're sitting in our church pew thinking about God. And it's not only Christians who can succumb to such temptations. There are some Buddhist monks who've developed amazing abilities to sit naked in mountain snow and generate enough heat to warm themselves and others. Some monks have learned, through fasting and meditative praying, to control their bodies to slow so thoroughly that they can be buried for days and not suffocate. So do we want to have extraordinary power over our bodies and the rest of the creation like God, or do we want to love the creation like God? The two are not only different, they can be terribly at odds with each other. Paul understood this, and Martin Luther King did as well. Unfortunately, many of today's Christians and others have opted for faith power instead of the power of love. And given our technological control over the physical world these days, blind faith in ourselves to make the right decisions often seems to go horribly wrong. This seems to be particularly true right now. On this day set aside to honor Martin Luther King, I couldn't help but wonder what King had to say uh, to his old enemies, to, to greed, to racism, prejudice religious bigotry and hatred, and the threat of unbridled political power, the decline of the free press and the failure of government agencies of the government uh, that he was up against half a century ago. 
these same forces we are confronting again today. Well, to answer that question, here are some of the quotes attributed to Dr. King and and to whom they might be directed if King were with us today. First, as a general statement to Muslims and Christians both, King might have repeated his observation that, quote, darkness cannot drive out darkness, only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate, only love can do that, unquote. And as an addendum, he said, let no man pull you so low as to hate him. And to the recurrence of bigotry in America, slogans of hatred painted on synagogues and mosques, quote, in the end we will remember not the words of our enemies, but the silence of our friends, unquote. And here's a quote from Martin that's appropriate to confronting China's Hong Kong, Assad's Syria, Putin's Russia, or any other dictatorship. Quote, there comes a time when one must take a position that is neither safe, nor politic, nor popular, but he must take it because conscience tells him it is right, End quote. And also, quote, the ultimate measure of a man is not where he stands in moments of comfort and convenience, but where he stands at times of challenge and controversy. And to the press, quote, there comes a time when silence is betrayal, Unquote. And to school boards everywhere, intelligence plus character, that is the goal of true education. And to the Justice Department, quote, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. And also, never forget that everything Hitler did in Germany was legal. And to the world, quote, we must live together as brothers or perish together as fools. And to those who do not accept climate change and environmental pollution as an immediate threat to our survival, quote, science investigates, religion interprets. Science gives man knowledge, which is power. Religion gives man wisdom, which is control. Science deals mainly with facts. Religion deals mainly with values. The two are not rivals. And to every churchgoer, he might say, quote, those who are not looking for happiness are the most likely to find it because those who are searching for happiness forget that the surest way to be happy is to seek happiness for others, end quote. And then to all of us, now there is a final reason I think that Jesus says love your enemies. It is this, that love has within it a redemptive power, and there is a power there that eventually transforms individuals. Just keeping friendly to that person. Just keep loving them, and they can't stand it for too long. Oh, they react in many ways in the beginning. They react with guilt feelings, and sometimes they'll hate you a little more at at that transition period. But just keep loving them, and by the power of your love, they will break down under that load. That's love, you see. It's redemptive. And this is why Jesus says love. There's something about love that builds up and is creative. There is something about hate that tears down and is destructive. So love your enemies. And that's from uh, Martin Luther King's Loving Your Enemies. On the 4th of July, 1965, Martin Luther King delivered a sermon at the Ebenezer Baptist Church in Atlanta, Georgia, on the wisdom and universality of the Declaration of Independence. 
Of course, by men, king meant mankind, was the common uh, way of saying it back then, which it also includes, of course, women as well. Let me remind you of the basic premise by reading from the Declaration, a bit of the Declaration itself. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. King was struck by the universality of the two centuries-old document. He pointed out, it doesn't say some men, it says all men. It doesn't say all white men, it says all men, which includes black men. It does not say all Gentiles, it says all men, which includes Jews. It doesn't say all Protestants, it says all men, which includes Catholics. It doesn't say even say all theists and believers, it says all men which includes humans, humanists, and agnostics. It seems shocking to me, having lived through Martin Luther King's time, having marched in the streets of New York and Washington, that we should today find ourselves thrown back to that same era of restricting voter rights, harassing people of other faiths and colors, and under threat of an authoritarian form of government run by and for corporate interests that hold on to power by bullying the press and enforcing laws favoring popular prejudices, ignorance, and hatred. There were other quotes from that same speech at Ebenezer Baptist which seem painfully appropriate to today. Quotes such as, quote, the price that America must pay for the continued suppression of the Negro and other minority groups is the price of its own destruction. For the hour is late and the clock of destiny is ticking out. And that was in 1965. King also said the phrase, all men are created equal, means every man has a capacity to have fellowship with God. And this gives him a uniqueness. It gives him worth. It gives him dignity. And we must never forget this as a nation. There are no gradations in the image of God. King even had some words for today's one percenters. He said, quote, a class system can be as vicious and evil as a system based on racial prejudice. That's why we must join the war against poverty and believe in the dignity of all work. I'm tired of this stuff about menial labor. What makes it menial is that we don't pay folks anything. Give somebody a job and pay them some money so they can live and educate their children, buy a home and have the basic necessities of life. And then no matter what the job is, it takes on dignity. Of course, King was also a realist. He said, quote, history is the long story of the fact that privileged groups seldom give up their privileges without strong resistance, and they seldom do it voluntarily. And so if the American dream is to be a reality, we must work to make it a reality and realize the urgency of the moment, End quote. But as always, King came back to love. He said, quote, oh yes, love is the way. Love is the only absolute. More and more I see this. I've seen too much hate to want to hate myself. Hate is too great a burden to bear. I've seen it on the faces of too many sheriffs in the South. I've seen hate. In the faces and even the walk of too many clansmen of the South, I've seen hate. 
Hate distorts the personality. Hate does something to the soul and causes one to lose his objectivity. The man who hates can't think straight. The man who hates can't reason right. The man who hates can't see right. The man who hates can't walk right. And I know now that Jesus is right, that love is the way, and this is why John said, God is love. So that he who hates does not know God. He who hates does not know God. But he who loves at that moment has the key that opens the door to the meaning of ultimate reality. Just some of the words of Martin Luther King Jr. Did he learn these truths through an NDE? Well, I guess we'll have to ask him when we get to the other side. Well, thanks for listening. If you'd like to hear this show again or any of our more than 500 archived ad-free NDE interviews, go to TalkZone's NDE radio site and hit the Past Shows button, or go to our YouTube channel, NDE Radio with Lee Whitting, where you can subscribe to and comment on the complete NDE radio library. And be sure to check out our NDE Radio Facebook page. Just search NDE Radio with Lee Whitting on your Facebook app. And listen next Monday, 11 a.m. Eastern at Talk Zone for more NDE Radio. I'm your host, Lee Whitting, saying once again, thanks for listening.